Happy 4th of July. I hope your weekend has been fun. I was at a neighborhood fireworks display, a neighborhood fireworks display in Evansville, where the neighbors who live surrounding a small lake shot off at least $1,500 worth of fireworks. I was raised with sparklers and watermelon and seeing who could spit the, speed, the feet, uh, seeds the farthest. And then a long ride to the municipal fireworks, which we watched on blankets on the ground. This is a very different situation, this, parish, this uh, family group of families in Evansville, and it was a whole new concept for me. While living with three other young women in our very first college apartment, post-college apartment, we became, became aware of a religious concept that was enormously different uh, and was also something to see. Two very handsome Mormon elders knocked on our apartment door. Now, don't let the title Mormon elder fool you. These guys were in their early 20s, as we were. They were single. They were completing what is known as their mission. They were dressed alike in black slacks, black shoes, white shirts, black skinny neckties, and simple name tags with their names etched on them. Elder so-and-so. We looked them over for about a minute, invited them in. We listened, memorizing not their words, but every direction their hair turned, and watching when their blue eyes seemed more intense. We invited them back for the next eight Sunday evenings and they were happy to accept whatever food we served them because of course we invited them for dinner. And they accepted it because it tended to be things that they did not get at their apartment like roast beef and gravy or ham and potatoes and gratin. Now their clothing was about as close to the barefoot look Jesus had instructed his disciples to use uh, ad but adapted to a major urban area in the United States. Jesus' disciples carried no purse, no money. The elders lived on a very small stipend, large enough to pay their rent and utilities and basic food. Although they were delighted to relax and to drink our lemonade, I didn't think I'd ever drink that much lemonade, and eat what we put in front of them, they never wavered from their primary mission to transform us and bring us into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They were polite. They were not pushy. They didn't put us down. And if they succeeded at bringing us to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they could return to their homes in Provo and Western Canada with peace and joy and then continue to invite others to their way of life. They got that. We didn't get that at all. We were much more interested in these two nice looking guys than in anything they had to say.
Now the 70 disciples Jesus sent to new areas to proceed him in ministry most likely would get their experiences. Some of those they encountered would have been like four very young women in search of something other than a way of life, left to search at a later point when their lives lived would render them, each of them, ready or not. The success was not in our signing up. It was in the transformation of the elders. Jesus instructed his 70 to carry no purse, no staff for protection, no provisions, to travel barefoot, to have only the robes on their backs. He instructed them to accept the hospitality of complete strangers who welcomed them into their homes. They needed the humility to ask for that help. Without money or food carried with them, they'd have no choice but to ask for the kindness of strangers. Now, such hospitality was common practice at that time, but it wasn't always guaranteed. The disciples were to eat what they were served and to stay with the, with the original host rather than trying to trade up to a better bed and better food in another home. In short, the 70 disciples were entering a world of money and power and prestige with none of these things. Their journeys required complete humility and total dependence on God. That's daunting. That's scary. Paradoxically, their invitation to Jesus' way, truth, and life was, was their power. Their invitation itself was their power, and their dependence on God was their strength. As precursors for Jesus, Jesus equipped them with his own holistic gifts, preaching the good news and the nearness of God, the ability to heal the sick, to exercise demons, and to model living with a peace of relying on God. This last, shalom, they would call it, could only be shared by the disciples' beings, not their possessions, not their fine clothing. They could attract people with their miracles and hold on to them for at least, at least a little while and surprise them with their words. Everybody likes a good show, but their audiences could see the nearness to God in the disciples, could feel their serenity, their peace, their ability to be and share shalom, shalom, their complete freedom from what drove people then and what drives people today. 70 couriers of the message of Jesus, the message that approaches power and prestige with truth and love, 70 couriers of a message that was countercultural then, and is certainly countercultural counter today. 70 messages who were messengers who were charged with carrying the Jesus message to all the world. I know. <laughs> this particular gospel is different. This particular gospel that we heard this morning is different from other commissioning stories because it's universal. 
70 was not chosen as a random number, or it wasn't just who happened to be around the day that Jesus commissioned them, but it was in an intentional number. In, 70, in Genesis and Exodus, 70 represents all the tribes of the world. And if Luke's audiences missed that point, Jesus also sends the 74th from Samaria, a nation of non-Jews for whom the Jews had little use. Jesus' objective was to share love with all nations, all, no more us and them. So how did their mission go? On their return, the disciples beamed with joy and they talked excitedly. Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. So much for the humility that Jesus had in mind. So much for the dependence on God. So much for transformation on this trip. So Jesus said, don't rejoice that the, don't rejoice that, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you understand what matters, I think. As with those elders in my youth, the success was not in power over demons or numbers of heads brought in. It was in the transformation of the messengers. And transformation takes time. You know transformation is happening when you can move forward in faith when the evidence suggests you should not. In our churches, we often look to gather in the harvest, not to open our hearts to newcomers and share our faith in Jesus, but to fill our pews and coffers so that we can then bankroll our social service missions and visions. We want the money in the bank before we trust our faith. That way, we needn't rely on God at all. It's no surprise that people with college savings accounts or retirement accounts bring this form of faith with them to church. Luke's gospel challenges us to buck that system and walk into ministry trusting in God. Yes, it's hard and it's scary. When you next have an opportunity to move forward in faith or to wait until the bank is full, reconsider Luke's gospel. You may be amazed at the outcome of a leap of faith. There's opportunity beyond church governance and banking to exercise and risk reliance on our faith. Twitter, news, social media, attacks on the foundations of our freedom. Soul pain is everywhere. People look pretty much the same, running errands or mowing the lawn, yet we are a nation in pain, full of people with personal pain and fears. We ourselves feel the loss of soul. Most of us are unable to quell demons, which the 70s seem to be pretty excited about, and we're unwilling to walk on scorpions. I mean, maybe you're not, but not I. Yet we are equipped for our mission with the people of the world who are suffering soul loss.
We are equipped equip with the act of love Jesus taught and that love heals such loss. We are equipped to welcome others to find refuge among us. We are equipped to accept the love of others in humility and gratitude, and that's difficult. We are equipped not only to deliver a casserole, but to do something far more difficult, to accept one. We are equipped with the gifts of our faith. We are equipped to reach out to others, all others, with peace. We don't have to like them, we just have to love them. We are equipped with the abilities to hear one another and to care about what we hear. We are equipped to carry a lantern for others in a dark place and to allow another to carry a lantern for us. The number 70 was not a fluke, nor was sending disciples in pairs a fluke. In a pair, one supports the other, one holds another to their truth, one reminds another that their faith works. In a pair, we remember that we're not alone, no matter how much the demons in our heads tell us that we are alone. In a pair, we remember that faith is loving when it is easy and when it is difficult. We remember that humility is a key to accepting God's infinite love. I invite you to join me today at our table for Holy Eucharist to deepen your humility as the 70 deepen their humility and to strengthen you to live your faith, leaping when necessary. Come for love, come for peace, come for the transformation. Thanks be to God.